discovers that the only part of BDSM he is originally good at is making fun of the the clients because he is an aspiring who normally gets nervous in front of large crowds but dang it when it's time to tell the client how small and pathetic their dick is does do the zingers fly left so maybe that's a career path that's available for you the main line being a workout all of that rules and since we're talking about belittling sexual partners this is probably an episode of the big bang theory theory hi i'm nick and i'm kyle and you're listening to a show where we don't talk exclusively about making fun of uh, partners' small penises or... or Not partners, d- d- clients, clients in a BDSM contract. Clients, okay, yes, BDSM contracts, you know, neither small penises or gaping vaginas or any other weird body issue they may have that they deserve to feel ashamed of. <laughs> no, this is a show about the Big Bang Theory, which is another thing you should be ashamed of if you're listening to this. Uh, we watch the show, we're... Getting into season five now, we pick it apart. Uh, Sometimes we like it, but most of the times it's garbage. And we'll find out which of those it is today. So today, your episode that we are watching and discussing is season five, episode four, officially titled The The Wiggly Finger Catalyst, which doesn't make a lot of sense for the episode. It's, it's. I mean, the, the, the premise of the whole episode is that Raj dates a deaf Wait, woman. Wait, it's the Wiggly Finger Catalyst is the name of, oh my god. Right? Yeah. Okay, so actually, before you even summarize the episode, please let me go ask, nuts. And, let, I mean, the answer is obviously we're not going to um, have neither the time, resources, or ink. But I do wonder, in a better universe, would we be, would we, like, bring on a consultant for this episode? Because there's, there's a lot of stuff to do with disabilities and deafness in oh. this episode that neither one of us are technically qualified to talk about. Kyle, shut your mouth. As a straight white male with no obvious disabilities, I'm qualified to talk about anything. And I previously worked as a disability rights attorney, and so I at least know on a surface level how to be polite. <laughs> but but yeah, it's it's a weird episode because they do introduce uh, a deaf character. And on the one hand, and it's like they do this all the time in the series where, you know, it's like if they're making a racist joke about Raj and Raj, I, well, whether or not Raj affirms it, everyone's like, oh, it's just Raj. We could be racist about him. Uh, they, 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 they bring it straight to the forefront. It's this, this deaf woman is introduced and one of Raj's lines is like, oh, I'll immediately make a joke about it. So she knows I'm cool with it. And that's kind of the vibe of the whole episode. <laughs> it's, it's not like. They're making terrible jokes at her expense. I wouldn't say it's ever, like, particularly demeaning. But it is, like, a a string of jokes about what it's like to date this person with this disability. Yeah, exactly. And, there, and there's no... I mean, because I have a lot of thoughts about it. But basically, it puts us in a position where there's no way to talk about this without also talking about, like, you know, the meta conversation about portrayals of uh, people with disabilities in media, which is just, let's just acknowledge up front. We're going to talk about it. We're not qualified to talk about it. We're probably going to say some stupid shit. Well, Kyle, I think, you know, with what we're already, I think because we're already kind of getting started on this, let's just focus on it because I can summarize this episode in another half second. You've already heard... Raj dates a deaf woman. The other half of that is her friends. His friends become concerned that she's a gold digger, and that's the episode. There you go. So let's just let's go. I do think there was something funny though, kind of the opposite expectation where you know they are making jokes that, like again, not particularly mean spirited, but still at this woman's expense. Um, but there's one point where I think it's Wallowitz who first brings it up that 
the the woman. Oh, and I guess yeah, we'll do a little more. It's Barrage is winding about being lonely. Penny's like, I know somebody I can set you up. Who knows how she knows this woman? Maybe through the gym. Whatever she does. Spin and class. Spin She's class. Specifically, they met in spin class together. Yeah, I remember they go to the the cardio something or other gym. But yes, it must have been spin class. And so she. Penny brings the woman and introduces her to Raj at the the fake cheesecake factory. And then they start going on a nonstop series of dates. Like you don't see all of the dates, but it's mentioned that for the the last month that Raj has been spending every single night with this woman. And Wallowitz raises some concerns. It's like, it's great that they're getting along, but also he is buying her everything that she wants or asks for and is paying off credit cards and I think buys her a car. And so everyone gets uh, upset and concerned. They they confront the woman about it. She gets upset. Raj gets upset. Everyone's getting upset in circles. And so Raj finally is says to her like, hey, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. I think this is fine. His parents video call him and they're like, hey, we heard you're dating a gold digger. Either you break up with her or we cut you off. Raj says, well, I'm staying with her then. And they do cut. Well, they presumably cut him off, but it doesn't matter because uh, the woman right, does. The he suggests that he's, they're going to have to make some lifestyle changes because his finance. Yes, she dumps him right on the spot. He's back to being lonely again. There's a couple jokes about how he thinks Penny's hitting on him. There's that. But that's that's really all there is to it. And I guess the big question I had uh, is, oh, and it's also something that was confusing to me in this episode is it's apparently a surprise to the group, the extent of Raj's wealth. And I don't know why that's a surprise, because he's regularly making comments throughout the series about just how stupendously wealthy he is and how he lives in this giant house and has had servants his entire life. And I guess maybe the rest of the group just didn't process what exactly that meant. But if that is a situation and he is as vastly wealthy as they keep saying, why, why do they care where the money's going? Like his parents cut it off. That's a problem. But that's like... Meaning it's not like he's going to bankrupt himself buying it. Like this is actually, yeah, exactly. that's a great point. Like if any of us had a rich friend, it's like, can you believe that dude bought the girl, like the girl he's been dating for like a month of maserati or something but it turned out he was like but he's like a billionaire or a millionaire we'd be like i i mean it's extravagant but that's just you're right that's just rich people shit they do that right all the i'm sure someone out there is is someone with millions of dollars is data is buying a car for a woman he barely knows right now yeah it's i think it's fine it's he has the resource he is not harmed at all by the use of that resource that's and uh, it's it's like if someone were to say, you know, maybe this is the deal with Grimes, but let's pretend, pretend that Grimes <laughs> isn't with Elon Musk. And someone were to say, oh, you know that she's just with him because of his money. I'd be like, yeah, I do. Who gives a shit? It's not like he's in a position where, like like you said right at the start, where he's he's not harming himself. It's not like he can't pay rent because he's lavishing jewels all over his girlfriend. It's it doesn't matter. But yeah, I don't know what else is going on here. It's they, I, I think they need to get rid of the idea that Raj has any issues talking to women anymore. Because I guess we skipped over that too. But that's, you know, the whole joke, I guess, of the relationship is that because Raj can't talk to women. Isn't it fantastic that we found a woman that can't hear men? It's it, They're the perfect pairing. But after she breaks up with him and he goes crying to Penny, 
he's just talking like he normally would. Penny's like, hey, what's up with all the chatter? Isn't that? And he's like, oh, no, I'm smashed. He's not acting in any way drunk at all. Uh, but I guess that's it's come up before. It's now the official thing is every time Raj talks to a woman, some character will just be like, oh, no, he's actually very drunk. And it's, why, why have the trait at all if you're not going to continue to do interesting things with it? You know, it's it's like if someone it's like when a, if a samurai or some sort of warrior, you know, it's one of those situations where they they either pretend that their arm is limp or they they tie it behind their back as a you know because they want to limit their power you know like anime video game kind of shit uh and then they break out that arm they use their power and then from then on it's never put back because it's just their normal arm now it's like raj had this thing yes, they whipped it out goku wore specially weighted clothing throughout most of the first half of the dragon ball manga and anime but then shortly after uh the Saiyan arc, his outfit is upgraded through mystical means, and then when he arrives on the planet Namek to fight Frieza, his clothing is implied to no longer be weighted, and he never wears weighted clothing as part of his training ever again, despite that being a cornerstone of his entire training regimen up until that point in the I now know two things about Goku's training regimen. I know that, <laughs> and I saw, because I have not a big Dragon Ball Z guy. Like, nothing against it. I just never got into it. Uh, but I did see one random episode where he was training in some sort of space station, uh, and he was increasing the the gravity on it to intensify his training. But I think through some sort of sneaky trick, uh, the, the gravity went up to, like, a thousand Gs, enough that it would have, like, crushed any weaker being into smithereens. And instead, he, he like, has to do, like, pull-ups or something to, like, turn the mechanism off. And they're like, oh, great. Well, you you got through that. You never have to do that again. And Goku's response was like, no, now that I've experienced 1,000 Gs, I have to be strong enough to battle against even that incredible amount of force. And this is now my new training standard. It's what I, I mean, I, I am an adult now, so it's not quite, I recognize how ridiculous that sounds when you say it out loud, but God damn, if I didn't love, that was my jam. It was Kyle, like, you go, man. You I don't, do that resist- Kyle, I don't re- recognize how ridiculous that sounds. I also think it's fucking radical. That's why it stayed in my brain. And there are times where I go through trials and I'm like, who never have to do that again. And then there's a part of my brain that's like, no, that could happen at any time. You need to be prepared for that circumstance again and overcome. This is the baseline now, buddy. <laughs> Usually about stuff having to do with like eating and or masturbation. But in either case, <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing myself to my limits. Yeah, I don't know. It's, I feel like I did myself a disservice by like discarding the... I guess there's, there's another side joke in here, but it's not really like a plot thread about Sheldon has decided that he is going to start making any sort of trivial decision based just on the roll of dice. He's inspired while playing D&D. Oh, yeah. Not to... Well, go ahead. Finish what you were No, saying. no, you go ahead. I, this isn't actually... I was about... I feel like I was... I st- When this episode started, I felt cold dread in the pit of my stomach because that's how this show is. It's like whenever... I hadn't thought about it before... But, um, well, okay, let me finish what I was saying, and then I will let you know. Okay. Which is that, like, because they were talking about Dungeons and & Dragons, and I immediately felt, like, this despair in the pit of my stomach. Ah, uh, here we go, the episode where they totally fuck up Dungeons and & Dragons and mm-hmm. fail to 
to capture it correctly. And they don't do a very good job of representing Dungeons and Dragons. But you know what? It was fine. We got through it. It but, wasn't yeah, it was awful. unoffensive. <laughs> yes. It's I think I, I was immediately suspicious because uh I mean, I think it's it's very normal. Well, maybe not very normal. Not abnormal to play Dungeons and Dragons using actual maps and figures and stuff like that. But that's that's been the exception when I've played. And so that they had all of that out there in the first place. I was like, they're going to turn this into some sort of goofy little board game or something. And they don't do that. So, And uh, Wallowitz gets a successful dice roll for telling a joke. That's great. It's, it, it is more or less accurate, even if not a great depiction. So hooray! And I supported Sheldon in his decision to wave these low level decisions. I think about that often too. Cause I like especially with uh clothing, and I haven't got to this point. It's just something I've really considered. It's like it would be nice to never have to think about that again. And instead of thinking of clothing as like anything that were an expression of my personality, because it's already mostly not, honestly. If it were just like supplies that I kept on hand because the world doesn't want to see my naked body. That would take some weight off of my mind. You know, I, I run out of shirts, I restock that shirt, I move on. That's that's a little bit less stress. I, I don't know if I'd go so far as Sheldon does, where he's rolling randomly to see what in a full menu at a restaurant he might eat. Uh, that's a choice I enjoy making. Ooh, or I guess um, small talk it would be good for. If I had like a list of... 10 or 20 topics that I could just roll the dice through. dialogue options? Yes. Not even, not even, like, you wouldn't even have to roll the dice, maybe. It's just, like, here are the six things that, you, that you're allowed to talk about. Select from the list, like you're playing, uh, like you're playing an old-school point-and-click adventure school RPG. Yeah. And it does sometimes feel that way. Like, you're talking to somebody, it's like, I could try to pull off this move, but I don't know if I have either the charisma or the deception skill to it. So I guess I better tell them that I do like the shirt. I better just go with that bland answer rather than risk a fail and uh, hurt this person's feelings. That calculus happens pretty frequently in my mind. Yeah, I think that's... Well, I was going to say two things. First off, the most simple version of what you're describing, the way that our good friend Mr. Harvey Dent, a.k.a. Toothface, lives his life. Yes. Because he outsources all of his little coin flip. But uh, if that sounds too insane, what you're basically describing is I think how any hardcore astrology or tarot card nerd already lives their life. That's true. I mean, I will rely on coin flips quite frequently, especially when it comes to if I wake up and I'm feeling particularly cranky or sad, I will like pace around flipping a Google coin on my phone dozens of times until I, I finally convince myself to go back to bed or go to work. But I don't know. It's I don't think there's a lot in my life that I, I just leave up to fate, but maybe that's a problem. Maybe, that's kind of like a friend recently um, asked for uh, a particular random item from me, and I was confused by it, and then they promised that it wasn't um, going to be used for any sort of spell or anything. And I thought, I don't care if you use it for a spell, but just not a bad spell. And then I stopped myself and I'm like, why do I want to rule out bad spells? You know, at least that would be something interesting. I think I'll just kind of take any sort of magical interaction at this point. Yeah, supposedly the, because, you know, sometimes those, supposedly, although they cut this out of the movie, originally the curse that Bill Murray undergoes in Groundhog's Day 
caused by a witch. So that's bizarre. I actually happen to know that because a couple months ago, I still don't know why my friend wanted to do this, but he did. He got a bunch of people together to do a table read of the original Groundhog Day screenplay. <laughs> and it was fine. I was just like, "Why? but why are we doing this? Like, this isn't the purpose of a table read. Uh, but I I did like the differences. And yeah, I think there was, uh, it was a, a, what, a vengeful ex-girlfriend cast the curse on him. And then I think near the end of the movie, too, there's a line in there about how he's been living that same day for like 10,000 years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So pretty, actually, I think that would have been cooler. But also, I've not, everyone loves Groundhog Day. I've not seen it since I was a little bitty boy. I, I need to watch it as an actual adult and appreciate it on this level that everyone else on Earth seems to. There are too many time loop movies now, but like, it's, it's true. still... I was also going to say, Beast, Beauty and the Beast, wake up a giant furry. That's not a bad way to live. The weirdest part about that movie to me is always the part where the Beast is like, no, I want to go back to being a random white dude. It's like, you're a super strong animal who can like bend steel with your bare hands and scale like castle walls with your monstrous fangs and it's not like there aren't women out there who are going to find that attractive so what are you doing with your life beast so i think you're right except for one issue which is what if he's got like a gross dog dick you know nobody wants that I, well maybe some people do but do I, what but, but would i want those people away. I, yeah i am i i forget i i haven't been spending enough time on the most dastardly parts of the internet. And so I forget that there are definitely people who would absolutely want that. Yes, there's a, uh, oh God, we are just going down to Gresham Alleyway, but fuck it. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite comics of all time. In fact, that's going to be my recommend, but fuck it. I'll talk about this bit now. It's called Top 10 and it's about a, a city where everyone is a superhero. And then the it's about the police in that city who are just... They're, they all have various powers or abilities, but by the standards of the city they live in, the only thing that makes them different is their cops. And one of them is is just a sentient dog with, like, a prosthetic body. But it's not like he's a human. He's not like a furry. He's like an actual dog. And then he um, they put him in, like, basically like a human mech suit so that he can, like, go around and do his duties as part of and as he mentions he goes on some weird dates like the kind of women who are into that are a little bit strange but he makes it work why did so if he's an actual dog why is he going on dates dogs don't date your comic is absurd i was with you every way up everyone has superpowers that's great a dog that's into romance well his superpower is that he's basically he's got like a fairly he can talk and he has like a humanoid brain and he's attracted like there's a whole bit where he's attracted to a woman on the force and she's like i thought you were only into other dogs he's like no i tell people that sometimes to like get out of awkward situations but i actually find human women more attractive i like the idea that the only thing that prevents dogs from having sex with other creatures is the inability to like chat them up like dogs would be fucking humans all the time if only they knew how to get through that initial awkwardness (laughs) who knows who knows? So anyway, back to the Big Bang Theory. Why? Uh, what? I, I, I'd much rather talk about sentient dogs going on dates with ladies than going back to this show, but I guess we should. Shelton has a mustache at one point. I like that. That's. I guess he, he rolls a die that tells him to shave everything but his mustache. 
And uh, I want Stash Sheldon from now on. I know I'm not going to get it, but I do support it. Um, oh. No, I was, I was just going to say, back to... So I don't really have instructive... There are a lot. There are, I, a, there are just a lot of jokes about how she's deaf. And- so the, the one joke that I think I liked the most of the jokes about her being deaf wasn't even about her as much as it was about Penny being kind of a, a dum-dum. Which, oh, when, yes. yeah, when Wallowitz first suggests that uh, the, the woman is just ripping off Raj, Penny's like, what? No, that's ridiculous. People, well, she says handicapped people. I think, I think the appropriate termino- terminology is a person with a disability. But even that is contested because people first language annoys a lot of people. In any case, she says something along the lines of, but no, she, she can't be mean. She, she's handicapped. That's the, she yeah. they're they're all good people <laughs> and everyone knows that yeah i think that's not an uncommon belief it's like oh this person has some sort of disability therefore they must have adopted some sort of saint-like personality to survive like <laughs> well, it's or not, it, i don't think it's even i think it comes out of media it's just like the only like and i will say that that's you know maybe an argument for more nuanced representation. Basically the only, like the only time you see a kid in a wheelchair in a movie, he's always the moral center of the movie. This Famous, is true. In fact, the Ur example, the oldest example I can think of is of course, Tiny Tim, who is famously like exists only so that he can embody everything that is good and light about the world, but imperiled because he has, I don't know. I don't know what the, but something pretty bad. Something with his legs. Yeah. It's whatever it was. Well, so I grew up with kind of the opposite experience of that because I have a relative who's got some pretty significant disability. And I'm not going to say it's his own fault that he's such an asshole, but he is a real asshole. <laughs> and so sometimes I would complain about that. People are like, whoa, whoa, we shouldn't say that. Like, he's, he's, he uses a wheelchair. He's got disabilities. I'm like, the fact that he uses a wheelchair doesn't mean that he's not rude. It's it's not like I mean he can he can have issues like serious issues and still be a real jerk and it's it's this kind of uh, yeah like you said that you know the the as, I can't think of the right word the, the saint making the uh, but that yeah um, you can't have moral feelings if you have some sort of obvious disability you you have to have been a good person and the fact that you have the disability is like proof that life isn't fair and you were cursed in spite of your glowing shining personality and your your being a beacon of justice or something it's it's ridiculous yeah, also and so and and similarly you can't make fun of you can't like have jokes which i get i mean which i sort of understand i mean the most interesting thing about this was like i don't know like i find this interesting again i'm not like a disabled advocate nor a disabled person so they might have different thoughts about shit um but you know David Lynch talked has given interviews before he play he he loves putting disabled people of all sorts in his in his work and right. and he plays in Twin Peaks he plays a character who has incredibly poor hearing yes. and there are a lot of jokes <laughs> at the expense of how he can't hear shit without his hearing aids dialed up to like 11 which creates its own set of problems because then anytime like he wants to have a private converse, like they have to, he has to dial them up really loud, but then he has to be somewhere where like nobody's allowed, to, like there's no passing traffic because right. that's the only time he can pre- speak frankly with anyone. But also, if anybody like drops a pin, he's gonna lose his shit. Um, but, he, but he's all he's also briefly 
healed when dating not the lady who runs the the cafe is it but like one of the no, the hot 19 year old yeah who speaking of not problematic i think I that's the actor's name matchin amic i can't remember the characters not entirely but he was just like you know and again it's not he doesn't have a uh, hearing disability but people ask no. them like both why are you comfortable playing this and why are you comfortable having jokes at the expense of people and he's like because i consider says David Lynch, being made fun of is itself a form of dignity. It's like yes. if you're saying that like disabled people are so fragile that like you can't yes. portray them comedically, yes. you're saying that they, you know, that they basically aren't full human beings. And I think that's bullshit. Yeah, it's it is I one hundred percent agree. And it's a very frustrating thing to because I don't I know like again, I myself, you know, no obvious like I've got mental health stuff, but I, I know people who have, you know, disabilities that you could tell just from looking at them. And people often initially kind of, you know, they put on kid gloves or whatever. And it's like, no, that's like, you you should treat this person just like anyone else, including the good and bad. That's what it's like to just treat them as like another person. Like when you're making <laughs> special rules, you know, because you think you need to treat this per- person differently. That's That's the problem. It's like, no matter how well-intentioned you think you're being, like, you're the one that's making that exception. So... Yes, I don't, and like I said, I don't know that that's right. It's probably not. There are pro- it's probably one of those, but that does make well, a certain it is. amount of sense. And I don't know that the Big Bang Theory, like if nothing else, I wish the jokes were better, right? Right. Like the like the, the jokes about how she can't hear, or the, like I be- feel like you could have much. You know what does a great Avatar: The Last Airbender has a blind character, and there are some pretty good jokes in there about how she's blind. But you're right that better jokes at the very least would have been nice. Like there's a whole string. Of jokes where Raj is on a date with this lady, but Wallowitz uh, apparently knows sign language, and so he's serving as the translator. And it's a whole bunch of stuff of Raj like, oh, you know, tell her this, this, and this, but like do it in a way that kind of lets her know that. Well, I think the one specific thing is like, tell her I have servants, but say it in such a way that I feel humble by it, but I'm still kind of like, hey, but I do have them, right? And him, him struggling to convey that or his unwillingness to convey that. I was going to say sort of uh, as to your whole treating people the same thing. One of my – I'm not – I'm neither proud of – I recognize that I may have just done the wrong – I'm telling this story not to brag about how I was obviously right. Do it. Do it. But just to let you know how much of a big fucking nerd I am. Just in case anybody had any doubts about just how awful, gigantic a nerd I am, I got into a fight over – the Last Jedi with a man very soon to die. And mm-hmm. I knew it at the time. That didn't stop me from telling him many times that he was a fucking moron about The Last Jedi. Now, this was not some random stranger on the internet. This was someone who I knew in my personal life, who I had gone, you know, for many years, who was dying of a horrible, tragic illness well before his time. And several people during the middle of the fight were like you know maybe you should let him have this one fuck that and i was just like no there's nothing about having it's like you know if it were brain cancer then i'd say that maybe that 
uh, he was allowed to have wrong opinions, but there's, it's like, I'm not going to pull my punches about aesthetic sensibilities just because he happens to be dying. If anything, this is my last chance to convince him and I'm going to fucking take Uh, it. I I side with you. And if anything, clearing up his own errors in judgment, you're doing him a service because then after his passing, much less likely they'll haunt the earth with unfinished business, just going around telling people about how Admiral Purple Hair wasn't well-written enough or something like that. Yeah. He is gone from this earth now. <laughs> Jesus Well, Christ. I'll watch The Last Jedi and, and think of him. I haven't seen it because we saw it together, and I don't think I've watched it again since. But And I did not watch Rise of Skywalker, and I don't know if I ever will. <laughs> it's, we'll see. It's I, I think I'd, I'd rather walk away from Star Wars feeling lukewarm on it than feeling angry. So... Well, anyway, well, we, we've done enough to give all of our very important and necessary opinions on people with disabilities. <laughs> and anything else in this episode we want to get on? Or No, I was just going to say, I get it now why nerds don't like this show. Because it's not, it's not so much necessarily, like, how they talk about... It's, like, basically seeing them... And it's not like they came for D&D, right? It's not like they were, like... Uh, it wasn't a particularly malicious way of talking about D&D. There is a, there is a joke where Raj is like, I don't want to play anymore because I'm lonely. Mm, this and is a very Sheldon, good joke, I thought. And Sheldon says, well, if not having a girlfriend is a reason to not play D&D anymore, then the game's in real trouble. Yes. Um, which, you know, is a pretty, yeah. But that's, that's, not, an un, that's not like a terrible joke. No, it's it's mean, say, but not inaccurate. At least not for most of D&D's existence. Things are changing, but... I get why if you are a big old spending uh, and you know that this show is out there and you just know that whatever they talk about that you love, they're probably it's going to be like the most that like 99% of people ever know about it and they're never going to get it right. For the first time, I understood how frustrating that must be. Yeah. Like if someone had had like having the idea of having to have the conversation with someone about like oh i play dungeons and dragons oh dungeons and dragons i saw them play that on an episode of the big bang theory once uh, wallowitz made a uh, joke about how the troll kyle, reminded him of his mother kyle and I was stop just it like, oh see? <laughs> i'm getting ill thinking about those conversations like, that's like the, yeah i get it well and it's like with the comedy stuff too it's like oh have you seen crashing and marvelous miss Maisel? and i'm like no i haven't watched any of that shit because i'm doing comedy and it's all bullshit like it's i i'm glad that you saw this incredibly inaccurate media interpretation of it but like i trust me no matter what you've seen it's 100 percent people talking about their dicks on stage because that's how i experience it and that's it's the truest it could be <laughs> i guess i should watch these other shows but on the one hand, I don't want to concede this point because I think it would give too much credence to reviews saying that we take ourselves and our nerdery too seriously. But it is annoying like when someone's like, hey, I know about this thing you're interested in based on the worst possible representation of that interest. Yeah, like it's not the end of the world, but it is frustrating. Yeah, well... Anything else about this one? Although there's also the flip side of that, which I don't know. Mad at roll, and the reason they get mad is because it's too good, and no, like in in like real life playing D anD D, you're not going to have as much fun as the people on Critical oh, Role because fuck it's professionally that. produced. And- good grief! No, I don't. Yeah, I think that's bullshit too. I'm just letting you know if you want to talk about the other side of the like the whole weirdness. There are people who are legitimately upset 
at, at shows like Critical Role because they promote an unhealthy expectation for how enjoyable a game, which is which is hysterical because at that point you're basically comparing it to porn. You're like, it's yeah. an un- it creates unhealthy expectations for what which, the experience is going to be like. Which, by the way, having been essentially raised on pornography, I don't know how much of pornography is unrealistic. I know... You know, when we're talking about, you know, essential plot elements, I can usually see through those. But when we're talking about maneuvers, so I am very often like, hey, I could do that. Is that not something I should do? I, I think other people are doing that. Like, I don't know if I'm quite that acrobatic, but should I be? Ah. So, yeah. It's like professional wrestlers manage to pull these positions off. So why can't I? Right. Also, I just remember another thing. Uh only tangentially related because I, I was thinking about that review that was saying that we're, we're, we take ourselves way too seriously. There was another recent review that uh, was mostly positive, but was like, hey, we get it. You hate conservatives. You don't have to keep harping on it. And whoever that was, yes, I do. Like, hey, thanks. I'm glad you enjoy the show. Stop being an asshole. Stop it. Like, it's I, like, mm. I have I have no qualms about pushing my ideology on anybody. That's what this show is for. <laughs> you're here to you're like, oh, I guess I kind of like nerd stuff. I'll listen to this. No, you're, if you don't come out of this like some sort of socialist or something, you can eat my shit. There, there you go. There you go. Let's move on to our nerd things. Hey, what am I recommending this week? Socialism. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anything else about the actual episode? No. All right. Well, let's move on to nerd things then. And with that, I do have an actual recommendation this time, and not just a series of complaints about things I was invested in. Um, but you you had one. Do you want to go first, or shall I? Uh, I mean, I already said what I was going to talk about. Now I'm going to talk about Top 10. Hooray! Top 10 was one of the last comic... It, sorry. Top 10 is a comic book created by Alan Moore, most famous as the creator of Watchmen. This was a comic book he did after Watchmen during this weird time period where he was still pretty pissed off at DC Comics for having screwed him out of an incredible amount of money. Re the royalties for Watchmen and V for Vendetta, but not mm. so screwed that he wasn't like, but I still need to keep working as a comic book writer. It's, so when he, he should have been a millionaire, he wasn't. That's the problem. Yes, okay. but they gave they gave him. I mean, they basically gave him his own like et- separate imprint where he was, you know, he was still writing comic books that they were distributing. But they and that's the that's the imprint that he created Promethea under and uh, Tom Strong and oh League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That was the uh, imprint under which the originally released. Although I don't think all of the but the last one, which is actually my favorite was a series called Top Ten, which, yes, the premise of Top Ten was, is that, like, back in the late 50s or 60s, someone looked around at all of the superheroes and were like, there are too many of these fuckers. Like, it's not like in The Incredibles where it's like, we're going to ban superheroes or anything like that. It's just like, there are too many of them, and every for everyone that you have, like, it just automatically creates three more. Like, you have Spider-Man, next thing you know, there's Spider-Girl and Spider-Dog and Spider-Kid. And so it's just enough where there's too many superheroes. So instead of making it illegal for people to be superheroes, they're like, you can be superheroes, but you all have to live in your own city now. If you want to be a superhero, you're going to be a superhero in this one city. The city is... But, um... So... 
fast forward to the present and it is a city where most people have regular lives and regular jobs but in sort of i guess the postmodernism of the whole thing they all still dress like superheroes and they, <laughs> and they like fly to work or whatever and they you know all have powers and gadgets and abilities and gimmicks but it has very little effect on their day-to-day lives and the main characters are a bunch of cops who, again, yes, have various gimmicky superpowers, but none of, but the main thing is just them like doing, it's not like, cause it's all, it has a sense of humor about itself. So it's not like super like law and ordery, the mysteries, but they do, they like solve murders. And, and, you know, like one of the jokes is like, they get called to like solve the murder of like a Norris God because there's a bar where all like the, the Norris gods hang out and it turns out oh yeah this happens like every day like the guy gets killed he gets resurrected it's part of a mythic cycle you can't charge <laughs> Loki with the murder because it's just gonna keep happening over and over again it's stupid that we were called to the and you know they're the whole show thing so it's a it's fun I think it's incredibly well written the characters and like you know, it's very – it's sort of like the sort of thing you can imagine like Rick and Morty or something like that doing an episode in homage to now. But this was like before any of that. So it felt very clever and niche at the time. Yeah. And uh, and it's fun. And it has – in addition to all of like – the, if you like superhero comics, it has like a great – a bunch of great jokes at the expense of superhero tropes. And also just like a bunch of great visual jokes. Like there's a scene where they're in the hospital and like everyone walking down the hall is a superhero whose name has doctor somewhere in it who's recognizable. <laughs> so it's like, oh, Dr. Fate and Dr. Strange and Dr. Who are all on call at this at the hospital. Of course they are. Where else would they be on call? And then so I would recommend reading the original two volumes, which are great. And then there's a spinoff ser- miniseries about one of the characters called Smacks, which is good, but is a deconstruction of sort of fantasy and Dungeons and Dragons tropes, the same way that the main show is a deconstruction of superhero tropes. And then my favorite, my absolute favorite of the series is the 49ers, which is actually a pretty like straight sort of homage to like... 1940s and 50s cop serials which is about like the city back when it was first getting on its feet and you know dealing with the horrible vampire mafia of which course. was which i you know coding immigrants as vampire or like you know making a corollary between like the italian immigrants and the way they brought organized crime with them and the way right. that like a bunch of vampires from eastern europe are like causing a vampire plague you know maybe that feels heavy-handed but i think it's pretty fucking clever and so uh that's all great, but my favorite part is it's actually really heartfelt because the main the main character is a or the two of the main characters who have just joined the precinct are both closeted homosexuals who fall in love, and it's like we live in a city where people can fly, robots you know are running around talking and shit, and we both fought in World War II. We've got to figure out a way to just be okay, like, being open and out and in love as two men. Like, the world has to figure out a way to move on because it's ridiculous. And it's actually – it's, like, one of – it's one of my favorite, like, romantic arcs in all of comic books. Recommendations for comic book series top ten. Good job. That's one I'd heard of. I haven't read it yet. I do need to read more of Alan Moore's stuff because I liked everything I have read. But I'm just behind and have fallen off of the comic book bandwagon. Need to get back on top of it. Based on that – I'm going to make, I guess, a reminder, less of a recommendation, because I think I have previously recommended Sweet Tooth. I just... Oh, th- yeah. I Thank God, because I 
This was almost my recommendation, and I forgot about it. So thank you. I know why you're recommending this, so go ahead. Yeah, uh, a new, I guess, miniseries, or maybe even a full series is coming out based on the comic book Sweet Tooth. And I don't know if that show is going to be any good or not, but it just reminded me how great the comic book is, and so I'm, I'm re-recommending that. But that's, what, what were you going to say about it, Kyle? I started to say, it looks pretty fucking... I, mean, I hope that's, so. That's it's... no guarantee. It was produced by, uh, by uh, Robert Downey. There's a lot of money. That was uh, it definitely it definitely looks pretty. I think my favorite yeah, I just like I like the cast, I like the trailers that I've seen for it. Um they swapped out in the comic book the big bruiser character is a professional uh hockey player guy. Hockey player, and I think in the in the new series they Americanized it, which means he plays football now. But other than that Oh yeah, I saw that it was a different well, I guess there's, it was a different race of a man. And I was like, oh, so they're doing something different with him. And I guess the further Americanization is also that he's not white, white, white Canadian. <laughs> but yes. yeah, well, either way, I guess what's more important is that he knows how to hit people real hard. <laughs> the trailers yeah. are pretty good. Pretty good cover of... Uh, there's a- That makes sense. Uh, Rio would be a confusing choice, but that's okay. <laughs> But yeah, that's not my actual recommendation. It's just I was thinking about it. These are type of comic books. I want to throw it in there. But I guess um, I had similar feelings about my actual recommendation, which is I'm going to recommend the the TV series and I suppose the movie of What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And and the reason that I was thinking of this is much like Sweet Tooth. I'm a huge fan of the source material. And so hearing about a TV adaptation made me real nervous. And so in spite of hearing good things about what we do in the shadow as a TV series, I was really putting off watching it for a long time. Because I'm like, the movie was great. Leave it alone. I don't care how good it might be. It's not as good as that. Just stay away. And I finally, over the last couple of weeks, just blasted through the, the two seasons that are out so far. And I can now wholeheartedly recommend it. I was a fool for waiting as long as I did. And for those of you who are not yet familiar with the the series or the movie, which I guess is the whole point of this is explaining that, is the original movie was a a mockumentary about a small group of um, actual like vampires living in the real world, but it was presented in such a way that they are just regular people that are housemates dealing with regular obnoxious housemate things uh, <laughs> except that they're they're friggin vampires and so like there's a scene where they're out and about on the streets and they run into a pack of werewolves and they have to go through all of the the awkwardness that comes with that uh reese darby is i think the head of the werewolves and has a really great line about how we're werewolves not swear wolves and who else is in it? Jermaine Clement. I don't remember if Taika Waititi is actually in the movie, but he was the director. I'm pretty sure, yeah, he plays one. Okay. Oh, he does. Yeah, it's, it's been so long since I've seen it. Yeah, I think he is like the main vampire now that I recall. Uh, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Taika Waititi, get familiar because he's fantastic. I mean, uh, everybody saw Thor Ragnarok. If you've seen Thor Ragnarok, the reason that movie was awesome is because it was directed. By- yeah, that's true. Like no one, I don't, I don't think any Marvel fans even cared about the, the Thor movies. And then the Ragnarok came out and I didn't love it as much as everyone said I would, but it was still a vast improvement from the first two. And yeah, that is all because of Mr. Waititi. And so um, he and co-star not director maybe director i don't know jermaine clement of flight of the concords have produced a tv series 
which does not at all focus on the same group of vampires. Uh, instead, you have new characters, um, Nandor, Laszlo, and Nadja, who are living in a house in Staten Island. And again, it's just them kind of just being dorks living and being uh, in the world. They have uh, Na- uh, Nandor, I think it's like a, was like a Turkish uh, emperor or something like that. Yeah, I think he's he's based on Ottoman Vlad Paler. Yes, yeah. he's obviously. So, I mean, who was himself? So in a meta reference, he's basically like he's the dude that Dracula was. Yes, uh, except in in spite of being uh, relentless, uh, he's very awkward and polite. He he has a familiar Guillermo who, like all familiars throughout history, assume that they will someday be made a vampire and it never happens. They also have another roommate who lives downstairs in the house who is an energy vampire. <laughs> and so he doesn't drink blood. He just saps people's souls away with small talk and other various obnoxious things. And I do like how at one point someone, they're all talking about, you know, being vampires and, and some sort of vampire privileges they have. And then they look to energy vampire Colin Robinson and they're like, we don't know if you are included in his responses. It's like, I don't know what my deal is either, honestly. And I just keep on trucking. And uh, I love that. But yeah, it's it's great. I, I was real nervous about watching it. I was worried it wasn't going to do service to the, the movie I, I, I loved. But it's fantastic. Uh, it's I, Laszlo is played by Matt Berry, who is someone you should also be familiar with in spite of always being concerned that I'm going to be oversaturated with Matt Berry because he does so much work. He's consistently great. Uh, yeah, I need to watch more of it. I love Snuffbox. I never watched okay. watch the Toast show. I've seen a random handful of episodes. I've seen the full, whole first season, I think, and then like a smattering. Uh, I, I watch a lot of YouTube clips of it, which, uh, yeah. So I, I will also recommend. So, yes, you should probably watch Toast of London. He's He's... He's great in that, but Snuffbox, I've never, I don't think I've recommended it, but I'll, I'll, I'll squeeze it in here since you brought it up. Snuffbox, I do not believe is a good show, but it's a show you should absolutely watch. It's so, it's, it's a, it's a sketch show, which does not have a febrile, all, all sketch shows have hits and misses. This has more misses, but the misses are at least interesting. <laughs> and so it's, uh, I, so yeah, I mean, I guess number one recommendation uh, what we do in the shadows, and then after you're done watching that, read Sweet Tooth, watch the TV series, and then watch Snuffbox. So, I guess that's wait, we did it! Yay! Recommendations, nerdy stuff, uh, making fun of people in minoritized groups. We've covered all the bases. 